again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. How would you feel if you found yourself in the throne room of God? And can you get to that feeling without the whole angels, thunder, and smoke experience? Lead teacher Randy Pope continues the series, A Glorious Grace, Foundations of Grace, with the second part of a message entitled, The Experience of Grace, which covers Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. For information and to watch or hear other messages, please visit our website at perimeter.org. Thank you for joining us today. Let's pray and let's get prepared for the teaching of God's Word. Our Father, as we bow before you right now, we want to we talk to you and, and make a specific request. We don't want this just to be a, a prayer that we pray. We want this today to be a meeting with you. We would love to know that you have captured our minds and through the mind have come to the heart and you're going to renew us in a special way. For some of us who've never met you, we'll meet you. For some of us who've met you, we're going to meet you in a deeper way and it's going to make a difference and we pray that you would do just that. So thank you for the privilege to meet here this day. I use this time in your word uh, that we might be radically changed so that we may give greater glory to you. That's our prayer, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I know with last week being a holiday weekend that many of you were gone, Uh, it's not usual that we would start a series on a holiday, but based on calendar reasons, it was best to do so. And so we launched a new series. It's on grace, and we're calling it a glorious grace. It's actually made up of uh, four, what I will call mini-series, small series that all work together to the larger idea of a glorious grace. Uh, This particular beginning is the foundations of grace, and we're starting it with what we're calling the experience of grace. The experience of grace. Here's the question. I asked it last week. We did part one last week. The question that I raised as we began is this, how do you know if you're a Christian? I mean, how do you really know? People are saying they're Christians, and and when you say, are you a Christian? They go, yeah, I think so. Yeah, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. Well, uh, how how do you know you're a Christian? I don't know. I just, I believe in Jesus. I'm a Christian. We talk about other people, sometimes loved ones. Was he a Christian? Was she a Christian? Are they Christians if they're alive today? Well, yeah, I'd say they are. They say they are. I think they probably are. You know, I think they had a pretty religious experience back in the early years. I think that, 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 and you hear the story, and yeah, I think they're a Christian. Yeah, probably so. Well, how do you know? I mean, Jesus himself said that when we get there in his presence, I mean, many people are going to say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, so forth and so on? He'll say, I never knew you. You practiced lawlessness. Well, how would they know? How how does anybody know you're a Christian? Well, if you've been around this church very long, you know based on what we see as the biblical standard of what it means to be a Christian, it doesn't mean that just you prayed a prayer, whether it be sincere or not. We know it's not that. It's not that you had a good camp experience for a week and something happened there and therefore I am. We know that's not it. So what's the answer? The answer is, 
a person has experienced God's grace. That's how you know you're a Christian. You say, okay, well, good. That helps. But tell me, how do you know if you've experienced God's grace? There's the real question. How do you know if you've experienced His grace? Well, the way we can know we've experienced God's grace is best, I think, found in a text of the Old Testament, believe it or not. The Old Testament, the book of Isaiah. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to invite you to turn there with me. Here we're going to see, even as Isaiah, that there is a progression of experiences that make up the experience of grace. There are different components of it, and you can't just pick and choose. It's really going to be, as you will see, a progression from one to the next to the next to the next. I taught on this in 2004. At that time, I did it in a one-week message. I wanted to use the same text. I, I want to still use the same four words that I use, but, but we're developing this much deeper than we did before. We're spending two weeks on it. I'll give you the four words. Last week, I was kind of pleased when I saw in one or two of the congregations I asked. I've forgotten the other, but, but uh, I don't remember which was which. But I, I was amazed how many people remembered the four words from back in 2004. But I'll give them to you now. Here they are. The first word is the word wow. The second word is the word sorry. Third word, the word yay. And the last word, the word okay. So you've got them here, wow, sorry, yay, okay. I'm going to say to our children, to our youth, our young people here, listen, I'm telling you, if you understand these four words as they apply to the experience of Isaiah, and you carry these with you through your lifetime, I will just guarantee you, if you're still thinking these four words, God is doing something very significant in your lives. I will bet you anything. Four key words. Let's review quickly the first word, which is wow. And verses one through four, and this is what we looked at last week. In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. With two, he flew. And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out while the temple was filling with smoke. Now here's the story. Isaiah, who is the great prophet, revered prophet, is obviously living as the people of Israel, the Jewish people, a time of great concern because Uzziah has died. Uzziah, great king, we went into all that and why and what had happened at the end of his life and this, that, and the other. And, uh, but he was still just revered as such a great king. And now things are unraveling among the people of God. Their nation was not doing as well. And it didn't have a good future in sight based on everything you could see on the political and spiritual horizons. And so they are very concerned, the, the, the godly people of the day. And Isaiah goes into the temple. That's the place to meet with God. And you know he's just hungry for consolation. He wants to be consoled to say everything's okay in spite of what it looks like out there in the world in which he lived. And when he goes in, 
boy, does he see God as he's never seen God before. And through his experience, we get to see God. He is seen as Adonai. He's not seen as Yahweh, which you would think would be the normal term to be used of God, but Adonai, you know what it means? Sovereign one. Here's a people in a a crisis of sovereignty. What's going to happen? Who's in control? And he meets the God of sovereignty. He talks of him as on his throne, high and exalted. He claims out. He just cries out with a, as he listens to the host, holy, 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 as they cry before this God. We talked about why three times holy. Smoke, which represents power. I mean, he really sees God in a new way. Perhaps he's never seen him before. Based on his following experience, we're going to see, I would assume never in his life has he seen anything like this. And we went through all of that, and that was the teaching. But the question at the end was this, what's your crisis of sovereignty? Where's your life kind of unfolding in a way that you wish it were not unfolding? Where are things in a sense out of control relationally, out of control physically, medically speaking? How about out of control financially? What, what is the issue of life? And I know some young, oh, we don't have any big issues. You know, I made a bad grade, okay. Let me tell you, folks, if you're not going through crisis of life right now, you will go through it. I promise you, it's coming big time. It does for all. In the midst of that, the question is this, how are you going to see God? We used the contrast of the Lion of Judah. We sang about it in the service. The Lion of Judah versus the Little kitty cat, little house cat. Well, those house cats, they, you can't, they're unpredictable, aren't they? You don't know why they do what they do, and they're kind of odd. Kind of like, like God is kind of odd to us. He's different. But how nice and how cuddly and how sweet and is there for my good. Or do you see him as the lion of Judah? But not just the lion, even as we sing the lamb. Some people see him just as the lamb, the merciful, sweet one. Some perhaps see him only as the lion of Judah, the strong one who has no mercy. But you see him as the two. At this point, they're in need of seeing God as he is, but seeing him as the lion. He's in charge. He is the sovereign one. All to say this. Following Jesus, unpredictable. It is a very risky, it is a dangerous journey. But as I said last week, take Jesus out of your journey. Does it really become better? No challenges, no difficulties, no pain, no suffering, no sorrow? Oh, no, no, no. The difference is, is when we are able to walk through those same pains and we see him high and lofty, We see him as the sovereign one in charge. There is something that happens here in our heart that says, I I think I'm okay in spite of what I don't see and don't like about what I do see. It's just going to be, it's going to be a tough life. It is for all. The story doesn't always unfold like we would want it to. Carol and I have some very, very dear friends, some of which are in this church. 
that are walking through the most painful and hard experiences of life right now. And, and our heart breaks for them as we, as we meet with them and talk to them and, and watch them. You've got the same experiences with your friends and loved ones. But what a difference if we can see him with his scepter, with the throne. I mean in charge. All the difference in the world. By the way, I don't think I mentioned it in this service last week. If you've not read Laura Story Elvington, if you've not read her book, When God Doesn't Fix It, you ought to read it. It'll prepare you. Well done. I don't say that as an advertisement for her. I say it because we need it. It's good, important stuff. Last week we came to the conclusion of our time and we did something we're going to do now. I'm going to have you stand. Because we don't get to walk into the real temple. We don't get a vision as he sees a vision. Uh, fortunately, we get to see through his vision what he saw. But I just want to recount it again. You're welcome to close your eyes. You can do whatever you want. Keep them open. It's just here, not going to be on the screens. I just want you to listen carefully as Daniel shows us what he saw, and then we'll roll straight in to John, what he saw in the book of Revelation chapter 4. This is how it reads. This is the Word of God. As I looked, and by the way, before I read it, we're going to end this. We're going to sing two verses of holy, holy, holy. Same thing that we're reading about here. They were singing. We did this last week. But just two verses of the one song. But I want you to sing the song before him if you're a follower. Here's how it reads. As I looked, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow. The hair of his head was pure like wool. His throne was ablaze with flames, and its wheels were a burning fire. A river of fire was flowing and coming out from before him. A thousand thousands attended him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. And then the court was seated. At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings, and peals of thunder. In the center around the throne were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. Day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. The 24 elders, they lay their crowns before the throne, and they cry out, You're worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. So let's do the same and cry out, Holy, holy, holy. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, early in the morning a song shall rise to
God in three persons, blessed Trinity, holy, 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 our God Almighty, all thy works shall bring. Thy name in earth and sky and sea. Holy, 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 merciful and mighty God in three persons. Blessed Trinity. And our God, we do cry out to you and say, you are holy, holy, holy. Beyond anything we can imagine, forgive us for not seeing you as clearly as you've revealed yourself. And may we one day enjoy the day we see you even clearer than Isaiah saw you in this particular moment. You're the wonderful one. And we love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's take our seats. The story obviously does not end there. There's a second word. The word is sorry. Put it this way. If a person says, hey, I've had the wow, but I really never experienced the sorry, I'm going to suggest to you that that person has not experienced the grace of God. Wow alone. In fact, I don't, think, I don't think they really experience the wow because you really can't experience wow without there being a following of, oh, I'm so sorry. Here's the verse, verse 5. It reads like this. Then I said, woe is me, for I am ruined because I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. You see the relationship because I've seen the King. Now I and all people are a people of unclean lips. Why the lips? Well, that's from where what we say, but even as the New Testament tells us, what we say comes out of the heart. He's saying, I'm a person of an unclean heart. It comes out even in my lips. It's, it's, the, it's the very person of who I am. He says he is ruined, an interesting word. It actually means to be out of existence, to be dumb, as to be dumbfounded. It's actually to be silenced. The word means that. I mean, he sees him and he's like, oh, wow, wow. I, he didn't even know what to say, didn't know how to speak. Now, Isaiah, you've got to understand, was the most righteous man of his day, the most revered and respected. If anybody had it together, it was Isaiah. I mean, he was the real deal. He was God's prophet. He sees God, and now all of a sudden, his spiritual self-esteem is literally shattered. He sees himself morally before his God as, as literally naked and exposed. So much so that he says, woe is me. I don't know if you understand this, but the word woe, uh, it, is a, it is a judgment of condemnation that's placed on someone. You've, you've read the words, woe to the scribes and the Pharisees. It is literally calling a curse on somebody. And prophets would do that as God would lead them to do so because of the way they were living. 
And now all of a sudden the prophet, instead of proclaiming the curse on other people's head, he calls a curse to his own head. He says, oh God, curse me now. I have no right to live. Do you realize the way most of us are seeing God today, particularly in the church in a broader sense, it's amazing. We're seeing God is so different than he is. So much so that the big question among the Christian community today is simply this, why would, why would God let people, why would he let people suffer the way they suffer? Why would God allow, because after all, people are good. And, and, and God should treat good people in good ways. And he's not doing that. And so it's hard for us, even as Christians, not to think that we are very, very good people. Much less to think that, oh, we are really not good people. Well, take that. 10 more generations of depth to come to the place where you say, woe is me, God curse my life, I'm so wicked, I'm so evil. Is he exaggerating? Not at all. He's just seeing so much clearer than any of us would ever see. He has an unclean heart. He's saying, I am a sinner. You know, I, I think most of us, doesn't the word pose describe well most of our lives we have a pose don't we what do you do when you have a picture you pose so we did family pictures on our vacation this year and you know what it's it's not easy to get all the people the kids grandkids everybody together and pose you know well but we want them to pose so it's smile and I'll give you some candy okay and everybody sees the pictures and go, oh, what a sweet family. Eh, a bunch of, <laughs> bunch of devils, most of them. <laughs> but you would never know that because it's a pose. It's like, oh, yeah. You know, that's what we do. And not only do we pose before God, we pose before other people. Because goodness sakes, we would not want people to know how wretched we really are. In fact, you know what? We don't want to know ourselves, so much so that, that we, we want to, to use the analogy of a mirror. It's like, oh, well, we don't, there are people who don't want to look in the mirror at what they really look like. The ladies want to put on makeup, the guys want to groom, and then they'll look at the mirror. And when they feel like they're looking pretty good, they want to stare in the mirror. Right? It's a pose. It's not who we really are. Over the years, I remember once, I don't remember which kid, one of the kids said, Dad, what do you struggle with? I mean, what are your, what are your, you don't have any real big issues. I said, are you kidding me? Man, if you would see, do you know this? If you could see clearly my heart, you wouldn't come back to church next week. <laughs> and that's not just me, that's every pastor that there is. If I were to see your heart, you were to see mine, we'd go, whoa, no. Yeah. So I tell the kid, well, what's your sin? If you knew how selfish I was, selfishness, my greatest, greatest sin. Oh, but you're not drunk, drinking and drink, getting drunk. You're not doing this. You're not doing that. I'm talking about what are the bad stuff? No, no, no. Those are just some little symptoms of a selfish heart that's selfish against God, selfish against other people. There's so much stuff there. And Boy, don't we love to pose? No room for posing here. He's seen now what it's really like. And he goes, oh, 
not good, not good. As one person has so well put it, cheer up, good news. You're a whole lot worse than you think you are. (laughs) But God's grace is far bigger than you've ever imagined. That's the truth. He finds himself saying, I'm sorry. Any of you kind of find yourself now just sensing, that you know what, there is a lot of stuff. I've been posing a lot. And I think I'd like to say I'm sorry. To whatever degree you'd like to join in, I invite you to read along. Based on the work of Isaiah, a confession, a confessional reading that I'll invite you to read just to be able to say at this juncture, I'm sorry. Let's read together. When we're honest, God, when we're brutally honest, we have to admit that at best we're a bunch of posers and fakers, playing at religion, saying the right words, jumping through the right hoops, possibly impressing others, but not impressing you. At worst and most often, we run from you as hard and as fast as we can. The universe confirms that you are powerful and perfect and pure, but our lips and hearts only confirm that we are arrogant and proud. We flaunt our independence and try to make you small. We put our trust in possessions and people and positions, but not in you. We know, God, somewhere deep inside, we know that without your touch, we are blind. Without your cleansing, we are filthy. Without your mercy, we are ruined. So we beg your touch, we beg your cleansing, we beg your mercy for the sake of our lives and your glory. Amen. Christian, to you, I can say this. If that was your prayer before God, you are forgiven. You're forgiven. You'll be able to say yay, which is the third word, and you'll understand that yay, as good as it is, does not come without pain. So let's look at the, let's look at the next the word yay. Verses 6 and 7, it reads like this. Then one of the seraphim, that's an angel, we talked about that last week, flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongues. He touched my mouth with it and said, behold, this has touched your lips and your iniquity is taken away and your sin is forgiven. Now let me say this while it's up. Behold, he said, and said, behold, this has touched your lips. I don't think he had to be told that. I mean, burning coal, that's representing fire, which symbolizes judgment, which actually is needed to purify sin. The altar that we just read about, that's the place of atonement. That's literally, for us, that's the cross of Jesus Christ. The beauty is, He took the pain. It doesn't mean there's no pain in repentance. There really is. We'll see in just a minute. It touched Him. It touched His lips. Do you know that the lips, if not the most, is one of the most sensitive parts of the body? If you've ever burned your lip in any form or fashion, I think you know what I'm talking about. Some of us have. I have. 
I'm a guy that said for years, there ain't any hot sauce too hot for me. People used to go on vacation, find the hottest sauce they could find, bring it to me and say, here, try this. I mean, it was like, I, I, I love hot stuff. I'll never say that again. <laughs> I was eating at a Mexican restaurant. It's been a number of years ago. I had an appointment with some man. I'm just meeting with him, and, and I, I ordered my meal, and I got grilled chicken, and I put, saw some hot sauce. Red, that's good to me. It says hot sauce. I take it. And I put every, I mean, every square inch was covered in red. Every square inch. That's the way I like to do it. I took my first bite. And I never had an experience like this. <laughs> it was not a good experience. It was horrible. I was, I was holding my mouth and I'm finding myself kind of, I'm with the glass of water and I'm just doing like this on my mouth and my my appointment's looking at me like, what in the world? And I'm just doing, I said, I don't <laughs> For an hour, I kept a piece of ice as I talked. And I was talking to them, I said, yeah, well, it's good to meet you too. It's great to be. I couldn't, I couldn't take the ice off. It was so painful. It was so painful. It's a severe mercy. Sin's wounds have to be cauterized. I was, in, I was in Mongolia, had the opportunity to go there in the earliest, literally the first decade of the Christian church in Mongolia for all practical purposes. I had the opportunity to take another man from the church, a couple of guys, and, and also my youngest son. And we're out, and we're not talking about a town, and we're not talking about a village, and we're not talking about anything but just out in nowhere, no roads leading to nowhere. And you're living in gears, which are like rounded teepees, and it's just living off the land. And so we were having a meal one night. We were sitting around the fire, and they were cooking whatever they were cooking, and they, everybody had knives or whatever. And one of my friends that came from the church was cutting a piece of meat and came across his thumb, and I mean a deep, deep cut in his, in his hand. And he's going, oh, oh, and we're seeing bloods everywhere. And he's going, oh, and you're thinking, where's the hospital? There is no hospital. Where's the doctor? There is no doctor. What do we do? It needs stitches, you know. What, oh, what do we do? What do we do? And they didn't speak much English, but some of them had enough to know. One of them goes, hmm, hmm, let me see. He looks at it and goes, hmm, okay. And he takes a stick out of the fire. He blows the end of it till it gets white doing this. And he takes his hand and he goes, now, I don't think it felt good. <laughs> but within a minute, this true story, within a minute, he goes, it doesn't hurt. And he looked, and let me tell you, it was closed. It was, it was, it was healed. It was incredible. You see, it's painful, but the healing how it beats the open wound. That's the story of our faith. Oh, yeah, 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 it's a dangerous journey. We said, oh, yeah, it's unpredictable. Yeah, it's got, but let me tell you, it's full of relief because God does the healing. It's called forgiveness, forgiveness. I, Isaiah, is forgiven just like you and me because of the cross, but it's not without pain. See, repentance, as we said, repentance is 
It's that same, I'm going to keep saying it throughout my ministry. It's, it's admitting you're wrong, yes, but it's more than that, folks. It's taking the next step. And it's going to the point to say, and I'm sorry. It's painful. It hurts so much. It, it, but it's even going further. It's the open arms of a loving father and saying, your love is good enough. You've heard that over and over. It's painful. It's, it's not easy. Isaiah's restored. He's experienced grace. And the beauty is this. As we read the New Testament, those who are forgiven much do what? Love much. You see, that's why the doctrine of depravity is so very important. People have left this church. I've, I've heard criticism of me and the church over the years. You know, you, they don't go there. They tell you about how bad you are. They tell you how bad you are. Don't, you know, I want somebody to just give me the good news that I'm a good person, that I'm doing okay, and I'm going to be all right. I need encouragement. I don't need to be told how bad I am. And I say, you have no clue how much you need to know how bad you are. Because until you know how bad you are, you will never hunger for the grace of God. And only until you experience the grace of God do you experience the healing where you can say, yay. That's, that's what you want. You want to be able to say, I'm good because I'm forgiven. Not because I'm good because I'm good. No, it's not true. It'll never, ever happen. I love the people that are going through, so many people in this church going through TFL. They study like crazy. They learn of the doctrines of God. They begin to see God. I hear it over and over. I've never had my life touched so deeply because I saw God so richly. It just did something to me. And what happens is we fall on the knees and we say, sorry. And then we see the forgiveness of God and we say, hey, God, this is what I've been looking for all along. I was not looking to be made felt better for a season by what somebody tells me. I need to experience forgiveness from God. That's what you and I are craving for every day of our lives. It leads to the last word, okay. That much needs to be said. Verse 8, it says, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Maybe it's the Trinity, probably not. Probably the, 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 the whole court of God it's referring to. Then I said, Here am I send me. The best test of the experience of grace is measured by one's proneness to say okay. He says, here am I, send me. Here's previously the one with a dirty mouth, a man of unclean lips, and now this one becomes the spokesperson for deity. That's true of you and me. Every one of us, when we experience grace, will say okay. Let me close with this. When you and I are struggling with disobedience, and if you say you're not, it's a lie. We're all struggling with disobedience. Some of us are struggling to love our spouse as we're told to love our spouse. Some of us are neglecting family the way we're told we shouldn't as the parents. Some of us are, are, some of us are neglecting God on a daily basis and living life and getting up and saying, I don't care, I know I need to, but I'm not going to because I don't, I'll make all excuses in the world, but I, I know I should, and I'm, I'm, I don't know, I'm not doing it. Oh, I know I ought to be given my resources, the first fruits to the Lord, and I don't do that, but I know he says to, and I know I should, but I, I'm just not doing it. What is the disobedience? We've got disobedience running all over the place. Whatever it is for you, whatever it is for me, let me tell you what we should never do. Do not go to the law and say, okay, the law says I should do such and such, therefore 
I'll reach into my willpower and I will follow what the law says because after all, it is the law. That is not the way to change. It'll never happen. If you change, it will be so briefly. It will be so quickly over. You'll go back with discouragement. You don't go to law. You go to grace. You see what he's done. You go to the cross, the greatest demonstration of his love and goodness, the grace that he showed that he would be the atonement for us with all the pain he takes the pain oh we experience some pain but not like his pain so that we can be made whole I'm telling you go to grace do you understand do you understand now do you get a, a sense of how you know you're a Christian I don't buy this low standard of Christianity. And eh, I had a little this, I had a little that. No, no, no. Now you know. You experience grace. Go to the, go to the cross, and see how deeply He loves you, till it breaks the heart, and you say, "Okay, God, I surrender." In your Christian life, just keep going to the cross. Keep understanding who God is. Study the doctrines of God. Get to understand him. Get in TFL. Get in a journey group. Find out. Study God until you find yourself with bent knee saying, oh, I'm sorry, God. You're too great. I'm not worthy. And then watch the forgiveness as it comes. And then little things like what we're all trying to do. Oh, we need to be ambassadors. He became an ambassador in a new way. What's going to make you and me become? We've been talking about, oh, let's... Let's greet. I want to greet somebody every day. I want to befriend somebody each day. I want to invite them into the, the opportunity to know God as, as I've come to know him. How, how do I do that? Go to the law and say, I should do it. Everybody's supposed to do this. I'll, no. Go to grace, and then you'll say, huh, hear my Lord. You send me. Next week, the first of two parts, I'm going to be teaching on the God of grace. And I'll tell you what's a hang-up for many of us. It's back to that issue of why does this God who's supposedly a good God of grace not so gracious to me, to my friends, the way they, what they experience in life? Uh-uh. That's not a good God. In a very different way, but much of the same truth that I do at IF, Investigative Forum, I want to address the questions. How come God lets bad things happen the way he does? Why do people suffer the way they suffer? And understand, it's not because God is not a God of grace. You've got to know he's a God of grace or you won't go to him for his grace. Pray for next week. It's going to be an important week. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we would ask now that we might, we might be a people who get to experience in an unusual way the grace of forgiveness so that we might find ourselves saying, even as Isaiah, here am I, Lord, send me. Send me, whatever that means. May the area of disobedience that we struggle with, the lack of surrender, may it not be the law that causes us to try to move. May it be your power within us by the grace that you've shown to us. Grant it, we pray, we ask it in the strong name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen listening to the Perimeter Church podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. 
please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and find other messages from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day.